Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mailbag, nothing personal, word of the day is mailbag, as I come to you live, not from Tanzania or Uganda or Kenya, I will keep you updated on what I'm doing between July 7th and August 2nd, but it will involve climbing mountains, running marathons, seeing gorillas, going on safaris, whitewater rafting, going to Zanzibar to see where Freddie Mercury was born and hung out. Because why not? Mailbags are when we answer questions that you give us either on Twitter, David P. Sampson, Instagram, TikTok. I don't think you can ask questions on TikTok, but we do have a spoiler alert, TikTok website. Is it a website? I don't even know what it's called. A TikTok account, nothingpersonal.npds. Search for it, follow it, like it, watch it, view it, follow it, watch it, review it, rate it ask questions. Mailbag. You guys have so many questions. I love it. Thank you. Some of the questions are quite outstanding. And one of the questions is about what I'm doing right now. So I wanted to answer that first. And I thought it was interesting because it was a question that went like this. We're going to start right now. Okay. David. Yes. Hello, David. Hi, David. What's shaking, David? This one's just David. How do you make the decision when to take time off? And are you worried that your audience will disappear if you are not with them every day? Love, Jerry. No. Matt. That question may have been asked by Jerry Silvowitz, my agent at UTA. Is he the one who did this? Jerry, are you kidding me? There are 261 Monday through Fridays in a year, 365 days in a year. Well, 365 days and a quarter, but you only do the leap year every 40 years. That's why there's a leap year. Spoiler alert. So Monday to Friday is five of those. So just pretend that the year starts exactly on the day that it starts and ends on the day that it ends. 261. I think we did 261 shows last year. We're going to be gone. I'm going to miss 17 shows during this trip to those countries in Africa. And I think we're going to have nine or 10 shows for you during the course of the trip, recording them before I leave, obviously, because I'm here in the glove chair. Nothing personal with David Sampson is the YouTube channel. If you're listening to this, then you may not even know what I look like, or you may not even know. People say that still after all these years in front of cameras, running a team and whatever I've been doing. Yes, this is me. Nothing personal with David Sampson. Hit subscribe. 
So when I left the Marlins, when Derek Jeter started, that's a kind way of saying it, I knew that I wanted to do something as it related to media because why not get paid to talk as I've been talking my whole life. I love to talk. I don't love the sound of my own voice. People say the expression, he must like the sound of his own voice. Not about me, just in general. That's sort of an expression for people who talk a lot. I've never met anyone who likes the sound of his or their own voice. I just never have. And so I actually don't like listening to any shows that I've done, but I'll do it to learn to get better, to listen to verbal tics, to see whether I'm saying um or and or uh or things that I'm doing. Sometimes I'll watch on mute to see whether or not I'm using my hands too much or whether I'm wrinkling my forehead. When I was in a play, the director said, don't talk with your forehead. You don't need to show expression with your forehead. And so many people do that. And if you're watching, I'm going to see if I do. It's this. It's when you sort of raise your eyes and you've not done Botox. So lines show up in your forehead. Anytime you see a clear forehead, just FYI, from someone who's 54, it ain't natural. And it comes from people use their eyes when they talk. I try not to do that. So I'll watch on, on mute from time to time. But so right after I left the Marlins, the first thing I did is I said, I, I'm going to need an agent because I think that makes sense. And I had a bunch of companies reach out to me and I reached out to a bunch of companies. I met with UTA and I fell in love with Jerry. Jerry is someone who represents a lot of people in the broadcast world and the entertainment industry. And the first thing he said to me is, hey, we want you as a client, but boy, you better fix your Google. <laughs> I said, huh? What does that mean? He said, have you Googled yourself? I said, no, does anyone do that? And he said, everybody does that. I said, what, okay, and? He said, come here. And there's a room full of people, all these high-powered people who say they're gonna work with you going forward, but of course it ends up not being what they say it's gonna be, it's just Jerry, which is great. I don't need anyone other than Jerry. And so he shows me how my Google is populated, and he said, look, you're the most despised person in the entire state of Florida. I said, well, that's a positive, isn't it? He said, well, no, because you're trying to be a media personality through the country, if not the world, if you want to get egotistical about it. So you're going to have to start doing things differently. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, be you, but you're just going to have to take some time. It's going to take time. So I think we've pretty much done that because of you, the audience. You guys have been amazing. We have a codependent relationship. That's really what I think about a lot when I don't want to take a day off, when I'm worried about missing a show. I don't like missing shows because that is a concern of mine is that you have a habit like I do. Your habit is you want to listen to me and you do listen to me and I'm so thankful and honored that you give me 45 minutes of your time every day. Maybe coming up soon, it'll be an hour and a half every day. Who knows? But I don't take it for granted. It's why I try to interact with you on Twitter at David P. Sampson and answer my DMs as much as I can. It's why I try to do mailbag episodes. But there is an insecurity that I have that it doesn't matter if you're Coca, the producer, who obviously we all deserve to thank for doing what he does every day to bring you this show. But I've talked about it with executives, not just at CBS, but at other, other media companies. And the codependence is that I, 
I crave you all. The way you make me feel by engaging with nothing personal, it's like a drug. It is something that I have learned I can't live without. And I've spoken to people who have their own shows, and it's a very similar feeling that we all have. We have a need to be listened to. We have a need to be loved. We have this feeling. We always say, oh, we don't care if people like us. They do. They don't. No, we want you to care about what we say. We want you to not agree or disagree, but to just be interested enough to listen and then make it part of your day. And I'm so humbled by the fact that you're, I'm part of your day every day and that we're part of your day every day that it makes me not want to take this trip. So the way this trip came together is that I have had this urge always to do crazy adventures, whether it's running seven marathons in seven days, whether it's running ultra marathons, doing Ironman, whether it's traveling to exotic places in the world, all things that I just want new experiences. It's the adrenaline rush, and I've talked about it on, on a recent mailbag while I'm away. I don't know if Coke is gonna release that one after this one or that one before this one, but when I talked about the discomfort in my tummy, it's, it's searching for that. But part of that means that if I'm away, then I'm not doing shows. So I spoke to CBS about that and they gave me equipment to travel with. And so I've done shows when I did the road trip a year ago in May and I drove across the country by myself and did shows from every city where I stopped, did them from the hotel room. I've done shows from various places all over the country where I've just gotten in a car and driven or gotten on a plane to go hike, to go train, to go run a marathon, to do whatever I was gonna do. Because I always got the feeling that if I weren't in your life every day, then I would never be in your life again. And I saw a email because when you do adventure trips and like when I was in Patagonia in February running in the Andes Mountains every day for a week, you get these emails about things that are going on. And I got an email saying the world's highest elevation marathon completed by fewer than 100 people climb Mount Kilimanjaro and then run a marathon from the summit. And I said, whoa, I've got to do that. And then I said to myself, but I'm getting older, so I better do it soon. And then I said to myself, I can't do the show from there. I'm already going to be there. Why not make it a longer trip and put a safari with that? Do some rafting on the Nile maybe relax in Zanzibar for a few days. How about the possibility of going gorilla trekking? I've always heard that going to see mountain gorillas in Uganda is the most insane thing in the world. You're 10 feet away, eight feet away from a real mountain gorilla. So put together this trip. And then I had the uncomfortable feeling that what if everything we've worked for, for two and a half years, maybe it's more, we started in October of 19, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. Wow, we're almost three years of doing nothing personal. Have we built up enough loyalty with you that you're gonna be here August 2nd if the plane's on time coming back, the day of the trade deadline, purposeful, I'll be back the day of the trade deadline in order to do a show that night coming off a 24 hour plane ride from Zanzibar and then a two and a half hour car ride to where I'm gonna record from, will 
you still be there. It's an amazing thing what drives people to succeed or just drives people to work. What drives me is the desire to not disappoint. I want everyone to get everything they want. I want to help people all the time, whether it's through charity, whether it's through different things that I do for people, because it gives me such pleasure to take advantage of my privilege and good fortune and try to help. And part of it is, if you like what I do, and the numbers show you do, because we keep growing, then I have a responsibility, not just to mail it in ever, but to give you shows every single day that matter, make you smarter, make you think about issues, make you laugh, make you smile, make you cringe. I love it. But this vacation is going to be slightly different. This is going to be more of a trip than a vacation. I'm going to stay in touch during my time on Twitter, and I'm going to try to have service when I can. And I know you'll be there for me in August 2nd. And all of the worry that I have about taking time off is going to poof, disappear. Now, what's interesting is the second question that I want to talk about would indicate that maybe there's a small problem with your loyalty to me. Those of you in Florida, those of you who are Marlins fans, those of you who may focus on all of the mistakes I made as president of the Marlins for all those years, and God, did I make plenty. Of course I did. Hello, David. Hey, what's going on? What are the top five worst trades you were ever involved in when you were running the Expos and the Marlins? What a negative question, but I loved it. How did it make you feel when the players who traded away thinking they were trash but turned out to have very good careers? <laughs> Why couldn't the question have been, hey, can I get a top five list of the best trades you ever made? So this question actually got me thinking that I had to go over and revisit every trade that I was a part of from 1999 to 2017, and there were a lot of them. I remembered all of them once I read them, but there were several of them I said, oh my God, I totally forgot about that. Ron Valone? Ishmael Valdez? Not some of the worst. I wanna give you my list. Top five worst trades. Now, here are the rules. You're going to say worst trades looking back. I'm going to say worst trades overall, which include at the time and looking back. In baseball, you judge trades not just on the players you get back and how they do, not just on how the players who you trade, how they do, but based on the circumstances. When you are forced to make a trade, because that is the financial reality, when you are doing, quote, a fire sale. Do you know what a fire sale means? And we would never call it that. Fire sale in the world of business. Have you ever gone by those uh, um, stores in New York, like for the past five years, they all say the same thing for getting COVID, like their jewelry stores or electronic stores. And they say, everything must go. Fire sale. Well, 
man, that's lasting a long time. But in baseball, when you have a budget that's given by your owner, or when you've got the reality of your revenue, the reality of your expenses, the reality of your losses, and you know where your payroll has to be, and you know that you've got to trade players who are making money, some of whom are untradeable, some of whom are very tradable, you have to package untradeable and tradable players together, send them away like we had a package Lowell with Beckett because at the time Lowell was untradeable back in Thanksgiving of 05. How can that be a bad trade? When the goal of the trade was not to get back great players, although we did in Annabelle Sanchez and Henry Ramirez, the goal was to move the money. If a trade that you make accomplishes the goal that you had, doesn't that make it a good trade? I think it does. Top five worst trades. Before I get to the list, there's different times of year that trades are made. There are off-season trades and there are in-season trades. I'm going to say off-season trades are trades that are made when you are building your team for the following year, when you are attempting to get better, or you are attempting or you are attempting to rebuild your team. But there is a plan that has been discussed starting the previous August. Yes, we discuss next year's situation during the current year. Yes, we do. So do all the other teams. But when you are making a trade that is toward your plan in the offseason, that's one thing. The trade deadline is when you make a trade where you are either trying to buy or sell. That's what you're going to read heading to the August 2nd deadline while I'm away. You're going to read about here are the buyers, here are the sellers, here's the deals that are going to get made. Buyers can either be delusional buyers or non-delusional buyers. A non-delusional buyer is a team that is in the playoff lead and is there because their team is good enough. They're either trying to either get to the division win, keep the division lead, or maintain their wild card lead, or they're a couple games out of the wild card and they're trying to get better. That's what a buyer is. A seller is when you know, even if you're three games back of the wild card, remember the year the White Sox were like five games out and they traded their players away? The Yankees one year traded away Chapman, as I recall. They got him back as a free agent, but they traded him to the Cubs in 2016. Having the ability to understand at the deadline that being a seller is critical for the future of your franchise because this current year is over. So there's two different times of year to make trades. I am most critical of my off-season trades and they dominate the list. They are the list. And the reason they are the list is that I'm not going to ever admit to you that Fernando Rodney for Chris Paddock was a bad trade. I'm never going to agree with you that anybody we traded, Adrian Gonzalez to the Texas Rangers for Ugeth Urbina was a bad trade, even though we could have traded him Jason Stokes, but didn't. I'm just not going to do it. There's nothing you can say that will get me to do it. The time that we made that trade, we were willing to give up the future of the player we traded, no matter how good that future was going to be. And we hoped it wasn't going to be good because you're damn right we root against the players we trade. But the players we got were meant to help us 
capture a dream of repeating what we did in 03 or in the case of 03 and Urbina and Adrian Gonzalez trying to get to the playoffs. Top five trades that were terrible. Number five happened over, number four and number five happened over a two-day period in 2005. 2005 was the year that we traded Lowell and Beckett on Thanksgiving Day for Hanley and Annabelle Sanchez. It's the year that we knew we did not win in, we won in 03, did not repeat in 04, did not repeat in 05, try as we may. And we had to reset. You'd call it a fire sale, I call it a reset. Jack McKean was let go, Joe Girardi was hired, our payroll was lowered from whatever it was, 75 or 80 back in those days, down to 10, 12, or 14, whatever it was in 2006. So there were players that we had to move, but when we made these trades in December, they were to lower our payroll. However, we were trading players who were marked to market. Marked to market means that we were not dumping money. We were giving value to a team and we thought we were getting back players who would help us. On December 2nd, 2005, we traded away one of my favorite all-time Marlins, one of the best all-time Marlins, Luis Castillo. Not the pitcher who was pitching for the Reds, a different Luis Castillo. The Luis Castillo who had the 35-game hit streak, I think, or 36. What? How big was his hit streak, Coca? Any idea? In 2002, Luis Castillo had a long hit streak. We took advantage. We did a giveaway. We got him to sign a bunch of things. That was a fun hit streak. I remember when it ended. Luis Castillo's hitting streak in 2002 ended with him on deck. It was the bottom of the ninth inning. He did not have a hit. Jeff Torborg was the manager who would then get fired under a year later. We were sitting a pro player and we had a chance to win a game with a sacrifice fly or a hit by the batter hitting before Luis Castillo. We wanted him to get one more at bat. During the game, as it was happening, we were communicating with Jeff Torborg and the dugout and I was sitting with Larry Beinfest. I will never forget this. And we said to Torborg, win the game. I look back on that and I can't remember who he played. I can't remember which team, what the score was. That season was not a successful season. We didn't make the playoffs. Maybe we should have let Castillo get one more at bat that game to increase his hitting streak. It was the talk of baseball. It was unbelievably exciting, but I wanted to win every game. That is how I ran a team. We want to win. That is a great example of me foregoing marketing, foregoing excitement, foregoing off the field sort of benefits to win the game that moment. And the player in 2002, he ended up scoring the run and Luis Castillo's hitting streak ended with him on the on-deck circle. So in 2005, after that horrible season, we had to trade Louie, and we traded him to the Minnesota Twins for Scott Tyler and Travis Bauer. Travis Bauer was supposed to be a big-armed bullpen guy. He wasn't. Scott Tyler, aucune idée. Je ne me souviens pas. I have no recollection. What I do know is neither one of those guys helped me. What was it, Coco? We won 5-4 against the Tigers. 
It was Tim Raines, and he did hit a sacrifice fly. You found it. Tim Raines, when that ball was hit, I remember it now so perfectly. I didn't remember it was Tim Raines, but Hall of Famer. Tim Raines hit the ball, and you know he's going to score the run. You know he's going to find a way to get the ball in the air. So when we said to Torborg, win the game, we knew that that was going to be it. Tim Raines, love you, Tim. So that Luis Castillo was the fifth worst trade ever. Those two players were not productive for us. Two days later, we had to trade our catcher. Loved Paul LaDuca. Crazy. Love him. We traded him back to the Dodgers and got back Gabby Hernandez and Derek Brinkley. When we made that trade, Gabby Hernandez was going to go into our rotation. He was going to be a middle-of-the-rotation starter. We had no idea that he had a helicopter dad and that he was so scared he'd have no ability to be in the big leagues. It was a disaster. Two days out of three, two bad trades. The third worst trade ever, again, December, December 11th, 2014. We wanted to improve our rotation. We traded for Matt Latos. Oh, God. We traded away Anthony Descalfani, who is still pitching right now. We got Chad Wallach. We traded Chad Wallach and Descalfani for Matt Latos. Damn it. He was, the first time I met Matt Latos was at his introductory press conference. And I thought it was going to be fine. And then his wife started coming up to me and talking to me. And then he started being a little strange. And then they had a bunch of demands. And it turned out he was not a good person or player. And I don't care if you're a good person. It's not that we're friends. But I needed you to pitch. That did not work out for us. That's the third worst trade we ever did. Descalfani for Matt Latos. A deadline deal for Latos to add a starter, I would have been okay with, actually. But a December deal? God, did we get taken advantage of. Number two. I am not giving you the Willison Cabrera trade. I'm not doing it. You're not going to hear from me say that that's one of the top five worst trades when we traded Miguel Cabrera to the Tigers which happened to be on December 5th, 2007. My God, I hate December trades. Hate it. I just won't say it. On July 6th, 2013, I was on an island. That is the day that I was taping Survivor, season 28. We traded Ricky Nolasco to the Los Angeles Dodgers at the deadline, a little bit before the deadline. We got back Angel Sanchez, Steve Ames, and Josh Will. Who? What? Where? I'm sorry, Ricky. We expected those guys to be better. There's no way we should have traded you for three nothings. There's just no way. That will go down in my mind as the second worst trade of all time for me. Because A, I didn't want you to go. B, I didn't know you were gone because I was filming in the Philippines. C, when I got eliminated and I got my phone back and I saw I got like an alert, Ricky Nolasco traded to the Dodgers. I knew that we were talking about trading you, Ricky. I knew that we were not going anywhere that particular year. We were losing 100 games. But I did not think that we'd get nothing back. Terrible. And the number one worst trade of my career, I mean the worst of the worst, 
the first trade I ever did. December 9th, 1999 was my first day in baseball. 13 days later, let's get starting pitching for the Montreal Expos. We can do this. We traded for Hideki Arabu, and we traded away Ted Lilly, who went on to have a career, Jake Westbrook, who went on to have a career, and Christian Parker, who I don't think had a career. And Hideki Arabu for the Montreal Expos was worse than being a fat toad. And I'm not going to speak ill of the dead. I'm very sad that he has passed away, having taken his own life. I actually liked Hideki as a person. But he was so bad, we got taken advantage of. And now, all the years later, it's so obvious what happened. Whenever there's a new owner in the game, all the good GMs call up that team and they try to fleece that team. They try to take advantage of the fact that new owners don't know what they're doing, that new presidents don't know what they're doing. We so badly wanted a starter, and we said, my God, let's get a Yankee starter. This has to be good. He's a big name. He's famous. Let's bring him north of the border. It's going to show people that we're interested, that we care, that we're trying to win. We would have been so much better off with Ted Lilly and Jake Westbrook, but we were so seduced by the name and by the Yankees. The first of many trades with the Yankees that may or may not have worked out, both for on-field and off-field personnel. But that's the worst trade ever. That means December 22nd, December 2nd, December 4th, December 5th, December 11th. I guess looking back, maybe I just should have taken vacations in December. But thanks for asking me that. And now you want to know how it felt when we traded away players that ended up being good? It felt like crap. We always tell you we never look back. It's like the stock market. Don't ever look. Once you sell a stock, don't look back. Once you make a decision to buy something or sell something, don't look back. Don't look at what your house is worth that you sold 10 years ago. Don't do it. Are you going to do it? Of course you are. Does every GM and president look at every player they've ever traded to see what happened and how they're doing and root against them? Yes. Avs. Of course we can't say it. We would never say it, but we do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. David, I have a question for a mailbag episode. Well, that's a good thing because this is a mailbag episode. Can you talk about your perspective as president of the Marlins on the Steve Bartman incident during game six of the 2003 NLCS at Wrigley? As a Cubs fan, I've heard a little bit over the years from the media about the situation, but I've never heard the Marlins' perspective of things. What's your recollection of the day? Did people within the organization feel Bartman aided the Marlins' comeback? How did people within the organization view Bartman himself? There is a episode either on Lebitard or on Nothing Personal where I discuss this, but the fact is we have so many new listeners that maybe you've never heard it. So don't necessarily fast forward or turn this off because we still have got a few minutes together. But I want to describe to you what it's like to be in the playoffs when you weren't expected to be, even though you had the best record in baseball after like May 31st or May 18th, whatever the year was in 03. To be 35 years old as the president of a team in the playoffs to have the feeling of invincibility and coolness and have your ego stroke to the point that you think you're so awesome that like you've had anything to do with it, which of course I didn't. I sort of did just as an executive, but I didn't play the games. You beat the San Francisco Giants in the first round when you're not supposed to because they've got Barry Bonds and they won 100 games and you lose game one in a five-game series and then win three straight. And then you're going to play the Cubs in Wrigley without home court advantage, home field advantage. They've got a rotation of Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor, and Carlos Zambrano. They've got a bullpen that includes, oh my God, Google right now. Don't pause the show, but just make a note. Please Google Kyle Farnsworth. Kyle Farnsworth is one of the players who pitched against us. He pitched for the Cubs in 2003. He's not in baseball anymore. Just Google him. You will not believe what you see. Yes, there are steroids involved. But you're playing the Cubs who have not won a World Series. This is 13 years before 2016. Everybody in the commissioner's office, everybody in the country except people on the south side of Chicago are rooting for the Cubs to be in the World Series. This is going to be the greatest World Series of all time. It's going to be the Cubs against the Red Sox. There is no better scenario for baseball where one of these teams will continue their curse and one of these teams will break their curse. I mean, this was, you can't get a more perfect storm. The Cubs take a 3-1 lead in the series, and we're in trouble. The following starting pitchers, it's going to be Carlos Zambrano in Game 5, Mark Pryor in Game 6, and then Kerry Wood in Game 7. Screwed, screwed, and screwed. There's no way you're winning three in a row. Those three pitchers, and there is no way to prove this point, especially during a show when I didn't ask Coco to look into it. I want to say that in 2003... Zambrano, Wood, and Pryor, or Zambrano, Pryor, and Wood, had never lost three games in a row that they had started, right? So them starting three consecutive games, there's no way during the course of that season, that's how good they all were, that they lost three in a row. And that's what the Marlins had to do. So we had a meeting after game 
four that we lost to go down three to one. And we said to the guys, we had Josh Beckett going in game five. And we said, listen, we don't need to win game six and game seven. The odds are way against us, but it doesn't matter. Just win tomorrow at home so we can go to Chicago. And when we go to Chicago, we are going to pack a suitcase as though we are going to Chicago for game six and game seven. And we're going to Boston or New York for games one and two of the World Series. We are checking a large suitcase. But just win game five. Josh Beckett comes out in game five and shoves it up the Cubs keister. We've won a game. We're only down 3-2. Now we're going to Chicago for game six and seven. You're not going to win two in a row on the road in Wrigley Field in the the crown jewel, the palace of baseball, the great home field advantage, the greatest home field advantage in baseball that year for the from the player's standpoint was Chicago. They've got Mark Pryor in six and Kerry Wood in seven. Forget about it. We start game six. We sit in our seats and we're pretty loose. We're fine. We're like, whatever. It's not going to happen. Nothing. We can't score. Mark Pryor is throwing shutout at inning after shutout inning after shutout inning. We have nothing. We're into the eighth inning. I'm in the clubhouse. I'm writing down notes about what I'm going to say to the team to congratulate them for what a great year they've had. Mike Redman, the backup catchers in the clubhouse getting coffee because we're freezing our took us off. Literally. Not literally. That's an overuse of the word. Figuratively freezing. I'm sitting behind the dugout. I go down and around into the clubhouse, which is so hard to get to at Wrigley Field back then before they did all the refurbishments that were paid for by trading away Rizzo and Baez and Bryant, etc. I get in there and Mike Redman says, what are you doing? I said, man, I love you guys. This has been great. He said, get back in your seat right now. We're going to win this game. We hadn't scored a run. All of a sudden, the eighth inning starts. There's an out. We have five outs to go. It's done. We're not, it's done. We get a hit. We get a hit. We get a hit. And I'm thinking, all right, we got a hit. That's good. Let's see if we can get a run here. Maybe we get one in the eighth, one in the ninth. That's the math that I would always do. Just on a side note, when we'd be down four nothing in the first inning, I would always say, well, if it's the top of the first, we have nine innings to score four runs. We only need one run every other inning. So that's fine. We're down five runs in the fourth. No problem. We need one uh, one run an inning for the rest of the game. Oh, God, it's down two nothing. It's not likely, but let's just get one in the eighth and one in the ninth. So we're watching. I go back out there, and I'm watching, and stuff's happening, and we're getting excited. And all of a sudden, Luis Castillo's up, and he hits a a foul ball, and Moises Alou in left field doesn't catch it. And it's a strike. He doesn't strike out. And he ends up walking. All right, that was good. And we're looking out at the game. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a kerfuffle going on right in left field. Not in the left field bleachers, but down the line in left field. I have no idea what that is. And it didn't even occur to me to care what it was. There was a game going on. Then there's a double play ground ball to Alex Gonzalez, the shortstop for the Cubs, that he muffs. Then there's Mike Mordecai clearing the bases. 
There's Todd Hollinsworth scoring a tying run, a go-ahead run, and we're batting around. It just became an insane inning. We scored eight runs that inning, folks, and the Marlins ended up winning game six and then, of course, winning game seven and going to the World Series. And it wasn't Cubs-Red Sox. It ended up being Yankees-Marlins in 2003. So after the game, we go to the clubhouse, and it is absolute quiet because we can't believe what just happened. We just scored eight runs in the eighth inning of a game six with Mike, Mark Pryor having started that game and completely dialing and dealing for the first eight innings. Or the first seven and a third, I guess I would call it. So still, we're not aware of what's going on with Steve Bartman. Then someone comes in to the clubhouse and says, did you see what happened to that poor guy? And that's when we started learning that Steve Bartman was being attacked, was escorted out of the stadium, and that his life, for all intents and purposes, had changed forever. That he was being blamed for the Cubs' loss in Game 6. The Cubs hadn't lost the series yet. It was only tied at three. But that for whatever reason, he was the one blamed. And do you know what we said inside the Marlins clubhouse? We said, what are they talking about? How could people be so foolish as to think that he's the reason why they lost? It's not even close to that. For all of the people who have blamed Steve Bartman, could you relook at the videotape? Or could you talk to Moises Alou, who I spoke to in years after that? He was the son of a former manager of ours in Montreal, the son of Philippe Alou. Moises Alou told me directly he wasn't catching that ball. It's not even an issue. But why do people have to blame somebody when your team sinks? How about blaming Dusty Baker for pitching Mark Pryor earlier in that series to 120 pitches for no reason? Why not blame Alex Gonzalez for the error? Why not blame Kyle Farnsworth for the bad pitch sequence? Why not give credit to the Marlins? Why not, as we've talked about in recent shows, say there is nobody to blame? It's sports. It's random. Stuff happens every day. Not one time over the years when we get back together with people from 03 as we celebrate the 20-year anniversary, am I going to get invited to Marlins Park for the 20th anniversary of the 2003 World Series? Are they going to celebrate the 20-year anniversary? They didn't exactly do a bang-up job with the 1997 celebration, but are they going to celebrate the 2003 anniversary? I wonder whether I'll be asked back, hmm, I better reserve some time next summer just in case. I hope for all the fans of the Marlins and for all the fans around the world and in South Florida, that they invite back those players from the 2003 team and Jack McKeon. Now that Derek Jeter's gone, Jack McKeon and Jeff Conine will show up. Andre Dawson and Tony Perez will show up. They wouldn't have done it with Jeter around. But now that Jeter's gone, they will. Why not celebrate Juan Encarnacion? Celebrate Braden Looper. Celebrate Ugether Bina, who's now out of prison, who can come. I don't know if he's allowed in the United States, but maybe. Maybe Juan Encarnacion will answer us from his ranch in the Dominican. We can never, he never responds to us anymore. Get back JP, who still hangs around the team. God, I hope I'm invited to that. Matt, hopefully you'll come with me, because that would be fun. 
But I just wanted to point out that no, your question's a good one. But we never blamed Steve Bartman. We never credited Steve Bartman. We never thought Steve Bartman had anything to do with it. And neither do the Cubs. And neither do the any 28 other teams. So for all the fans who have made his life miserable, what's the reason? Does it make you feel better? Ruining someone's life for nothing? Get the facts. Okay. That's another mailbag episode, folks. We're going to be back with maybe another mailbag episode. Maybe we're going to talk about what happened in the first half of the baseball season. Maybe this is the last episode before I'm back live, hopefully August 2nd. I have no idea. That's Coca's job. Do it. It's just business. Thank you for being with us for nothing personal. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.